Hello, I'm Ben Keane, your host, and you're listening to a Virgin Startup podcast produced with support from our friends at Virgin Money. This podcast is a recording of a meetup which took place in September 2020, right in the middle of the pandemic. In this conversation, we took pause from the chaos of COVID to think about what, as founders, we should be building for the future. If purpose is going to be at the heart of the future of business, what does this mean for how we, as founders, design startups, brands and companies which can thrive? How will technology, privacy and the environment change how we think about the businesses we build? Joining me on the panel were noted futurist Tracy Follows, Bruce Walk, CEO and co-founder of FutureX, and James Gaffari, Director of B Corp Certification at B Lab UK. As the panel mapped out the business landscape of the next decade, it was fascinating to hear about the trends and challenges that will drive success for small businesses. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. Remember that all our meetups are available as podcasts. Please subscribe, review and rate to help others discover them. Kicking off to answer this big question, uh, what do we build next? We have James from Beagle and Tracy uh, from FutureMate. And Bruce, look at that. Perfect timing, uh, Bruce from FutureX. So um, I'm not going to go through your bios because you know yourselves better than we do. Um, but before we get into some deep exam questions, which the Virgin Startup team have all like been carving out for you, um, I wanted to uh, just give you the opportunity, each of you, to share a little bit of the past. We're going to be talking about the future, but a little bit of past of how you've ended up doing what you do um, and how it relates to this question we're answering, asking tonight about what we build next. And Tracy, you were first in the room and you also have an impressive bookshelf. Uh, Thanks. So, so we'll kick off with you, Tracy. Tell us, tell us a bit of your story. Um, well, I went to university and did a philosophy degree. So what on earth was I going to do after that? Um, but another, but another master's in technology. So um, the funny thing is, kind of 30 years later, what I do is a combination of philosophy and technology. But in the interim, I joined an advertising agency and spent kind of 20-something years in advertising and marketing working for clients like T-Mobile and BT, um, uh, as well as agencies, and always found myself on the uh, technology accounts, if you like. And so there was a point in time where I realized that actually, by the time you've uncovered an insight and you want to act on it, life's moved on and businesses have moved on and the market's moved on. So I got very much into foresight. And that's when I uh, started my own company in strategic foresight and futures. And that was probably about seven years ago. And so it's a, it's a combination of marketing, philosophy, technology, media, has brought to me brought me to this place today. Uh, so many fascinating things there, and just in terms of like, what does your day to day work look like uh, when you mm -hmm. talk about strategic foresight? Break break that down for us. What are you doing? How are you helping people? Um, so it can be around helping um, uh, departments in government or elsewhere um, create the right policy um, and feeding into regulations and the future of those. Or it can be helping startups or other businesses or global corporations. I work for, I mean, obviously I've done work for Virgin, but also Google, EY, KPMG, Sky, Diageo, um, trying to tap into generational trends and other kinds of trends to bring those back into not just the marketing department, but innovation departments and also try and help um, leadership teams, so boards, try and see and prepare for the future. That's the main thing I would say my job is about, is preparing. And I'm but yesterday... 
Yeah. So go ahead. Yesterday. I was just to say, but yesterday I found myself on a on a Skype call with um, Audrey Tang, the Minister for Digital in Taiwan, which was an absolutely inspirational conversation. Mm. So um, I think with futures, it is what you make it. So um, every day is different. <laughs> Yeah, and I imagine this year has been a remarkable one for you, which we're, I want to want to hear more about in a moment. But let's let's come to uh, our other panel members. So, James, tell us um, tell us about your journey into B Corps and, and what you're doing there. Yeah, thank you, thank you, Ben. Um, I didn't actually get the memo about the bookshelf virtual background. <laughs> I didn't give you, you didn't send it through to me. It's but, all, um, you've got them all in your mind. You see, I just yeah, have them here to yeah. help me feel like I've got got some knowledge. Absolutely. Um, no, thanks for that. And actually, um, you know, as a, as a fellow philosophy graduate, I'm, I'm terribly offended by uh, Tracy's uh, <laughs> initial uh, intro. But no, um, to be honest, I've, I've always been really fascinated about business being more than it, than, it, than it is right now or than it has been in the last few decades. Um, and so, you know, I've spent a lot of time working with, with multinationals in, in sub-Saharan Africa trying to kind of help them to, to create inclusive um, business models. So trying to integrate local businesses, so local SMEs into their supply chains. So thinking about actually the impact that they can have on the communities in which they operate. Um, also, um, I've spent a bit of time working in uh, girls and, and women's rights charity, again, with, with large businesses on their kind of shared value business models and seeing how we can create partnerships between the business sector and the charity sector or the third sector more widely. Um, and I guess there is some sort of through line now, because obviously I'm now working with, with B-Lab UK on the, on the B Corp movement and just thinking about, you know, working with companies big and small uh, in a completely different sectors, but all of the companies trying to become um, a model of, of stakeholder governance. And I'm happy to dig into what that means a little bit later on, but just a model of, of, of companies trying to use business as a force for good uh, and redefining actually what it means to be a successful business, which I think now more than ever is, is quite a prescient thing. It's, it really is. And, and just briefly, for those that are hearing the word B Corp and B Lab for the first time, uh, what is it? What are you trying to achieve? Yeah, sure. So um, B Corp, um, the B Corp movement is a group of businesses around the world that are trying to put people, planet and profit on the same footing. Um, so you may have heard the likes of Patagonia, um, Ben and Jerry's in the UK and then in the in the um, sorry, in the US. In the UK, more recently, we've had The Body Shop, uh, Innocent, The Guardian and very, very recently, uh, Jamie Oliver Group mm. joined us. Um, and part of it, you know, at its core is is really trying to measure and manage the impact of your business, but also con kind of commit on a legal basis to um, thinking about all of your stakeholders and not just shareholders. So there is a there is a systemic change kind of piece behind it, which again I'm happy to to, to get into as the evening goes on. Yeah, and there's a great if you want an introduction to that to the most recent B Corp member, Jamie Oliver Group. Jamie's talking on channel the Channel Four News podcast. Reasons to change the world, and it's a really, it's a really great introduction to that story. Um, big fan of B Corp, and I know there's B Corps in the room here, um, or being represented. So welcome to those of you that are there, um, and those of you on that journey. It's an exciting one. Um, finally, Bruce, um, welcome to the Virgin Startup Stage. Hello. Good to have you with us. How how have you ended up with us tonight? What's your what's your uh, summary of your story? Yeah, thanks so much for for having me. Um, so my, I suppose my story is that uh, I got involved in 
entrepreneurship and startups straight out of high school. So I was um, in Scotland and I was thinking, you know, what do I want to do with the rest of my life? Pose that, that challenge as you're leaving school. Um, and I thought that I'm not actually sure what I really want to do. Um, but I love this idea that I could create my own thing and, and, and kind of explore and test. Um, but actually, from what I could see, there was, there was very little kind of like people who are uh, my age, my stage, who wanted to, to do this. And I didn't know where to go to look for help and support. So I decided that we wanted to create a company. We called it We Are the Future. Um, and it was all around about inspiring and connecting entrepreneurs. And very quickly, um, people said to me, you know, you need to, you need to get out of Scotland to see what the rest of the world looks like um, in terms of entrepreneurship and, and business and startups. And so that led me on this, this five-year um, journey where we launched um, entrepreneurship programs between the UK and countries around the world and cities. So we went to Silicon Valley, we went to LA, we went to Chicago, which we actually partnered with Virgin Unite um, and Virgin Hotels to, to deliver. Um, we went out to the Middle East and it was just, it was fascinating seeing um, entrepreneurship in so many different ecosystems and communities and seeing the kind of potential and, and power behind that. Um, but it was actually in 2015 when we ran the event with, with Virgin in Chicago that the focus was all around people, planet, business for good. And it felt as though what was otherwise used to be seen as just kind of social enterprise was becoming um, much, much more mainstream. And people wanted to find a middle ground between um, kind of not-for-profit and the kind of more traditional idea of, of what a business is. And so we then co-founded FutureX in, I think, 2017 because we wanted to create this community that was going to usher in you know, what, what some people call the new economy, other people call it the purpose economy, whatever it might be, we really thought that all businesses need to be uh, aware that they can be a force for good and that the kind of ripple effect that businesses have can not just transform the way you build a company, but also, you know, it impacts your life. And I think that's the kind of intersection that, that I really care about is where does business meet society, society meets business, and this idea that they're separate things, um, I think increasingly they're becoming um, much, much more aligned. And I'm also just really passionate about um, about helping people have impact at scale. I think that's been the kind of challenge in the past is that mm. lots of social businesses do incredible work very, very locally. And mm. we can use the, um, the kind of tools of business startup to help people achieve impact at scale. So um, we're kind of best known for running uh Big events, which used to be all about getting people together in real life, um, and has now pivoted to, to getting people together in the, the virtual world. Um, and we've also got kind of an online community um, platform where we're trying to replicate all the stuff that you would get um, at an event in, in, the, in the cloud, I suppose. Um, but really, it's about galvanizing this movement towards business as, as a force for good, but also recognizing that that's a virtuous cycle, and that helps the business grow. It helps you grow as a, as a human as well. Yeah, and that's so great to hear that confidence um, in what you've learned. And it sounds to me, listening to your story, uh, Bruce, that this is a 50-year career that you've built in the industry, not a, not a six-year one or, or whatever stage you're at with the, with the wisdom that you've built, which is um, so, so it's great to hear from that. I, I guess in terms of where we'd like, I'd love to dive in is like just real tangible examples of what the three of you are seeing, uh, have seen recently or this year of businesses and brands or organizations that you admire that are really like, 
going about whether they the way they've adapted to the current pandemic crisis or just going about their business or the way they're operating in a really uh, in a way that you admire so uh, so tracy you work with that sort of huge spectrum of different organizations who's catching your eye at the moment and why um i suppose the thing is i i have a belief that we're at a time where we really need to be quite ambitious now um it's not about being reticent or evolution we are in the midst of um a kind of quite big uh, revolution of business and of other things um and so i think it's the time now to kind of really go for the new frontiers um and i think there's only three types of job in the future there's jobs on earth there's jobs in space and there's jobs in virtual reality and that's it um and i've written about that before and people have gone oh what are you talking about well, i can't understand jobs in virtual reality but actually this year I think people have started to understand just how powerful a virtual platform and a virtual space is. And so I suppose some of the companies and business ideas that I've come across um, have been in the kind of telehealth, virtual healthcare, virtual meetings, um, and also even the kind of, you know, virtual avatar, virtual being kind of world. And I'm quite obsessed with that at the moment because, um, what I'm seeing is a whole host of new, completely new groundbreaking businesses that are almost using virtuality to build their businesses and test them out. And then later they might take them into the physical world. One in particular, I think that's been impressive is there's a, a little company called Deep, which is virtual mental health um, awareness and training, if you like. And so they build these virtual apps and you can go through a quite, um, you put on all the, you, you put on the visor and you put on a, a belt. It's, it's using your biometric feedback to track how anxious you're getting in a certain virtual scenario. And you can set those up, of course. And they use it to train, they use systems like that to train the police, for example, in quite traumatic and difficult situations. Um, but you can use that as an everyday person to try and cope with anxiety so that when you go out in the real world, you have actually, um, it's kind of an operant learning. You've taught yourself something through a virtual world that you can then take out into the physical world. So there are things like that that I think are really kind of interesting and will be groundbreaking in the future. It's like that picture I saw of the cow with the virtual reality headset on that was sort of uh, just projecting, you know, beautiful fields and, and they're sort of very calm at the place they like to be rather than being in a shed. <laughs> and then as a result, the milk, the quality of the milk improved. And it's like, okay, who's going to... I don't know if we want the cow's biofeedback. Well, exactly. It's like, how far does this go? And then Elon put a chip in a pig this week, didn't he? Which is another... Yes, Gertrude. Poor Gertrude. Gertrude. Poor Gertrude. Um, uh, can I just dig in briefly? And it's so hard to do this briefly, Tracy, but like why the revolution for those three, only three types of jobs or in the future? Why is that happening now? Is it the combination of uh economics pandemic environmental crises what's what's forcing that technology what's forcing us to this point which i know is probably a book of an answer but yeah don't worry i'll be brief it's 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 that but it's because of um it's just really the cycles of history and over time and we're at the end of an 80 sort of year cycle where there's always a big disruption which either kind of could go into collapse or could go into kind of a dynamic revolution and end up in a better space and um, what's happened is that we've really now come to the crunch of two systems clashing, the old mm -hmm. institutional hierarchical 
organisational structures we had, which um, lent on planning post-war period, if you like, all the way through to now, yeah. and the new networked, decentralised, um, flat, unhierarchical structures that most of um, the new companies over the last 20 years have been built on. And those two things are clashing now. Yeah. And there's going to have to be uh, a winner. And that and that's why it's a disruption. Yeah, that's fascinating. So it's really helpful to think about what we build. And it reminds me of Rachel Botsman's book, Who Do We Trust? And she, like how yes. the evolution of trust is being decentralized. There we go. It's on the shelf. James, coming to the B call, you have about 500 examples here, I guess. But what's... Uh, What's on your radar in terms of real trends about who you think is is thriving in this moment? Yeah, I mean, I really want to take kind of two different examples um, from probably two ends of the the, the the scale, maybe even two ends of the sexiness scale, and, I'll, and, I'll, and you'll understand why. Um, so the first is a B Corp, and I'm not legally obliged to, to to have to give that example, but one of my favorite examples is is Elvis and Cressy, who, mm. who some of you may know. So. This is this is really an example of a company that even you know way before the crisis, way before the idea of the climate crisis was really put right into the mainstream by you know people like uh, Extinction Rebellion and, and other kind of popular movements. She kind of saw this 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 waste basically saw the idea that basically all of these kind of fire hoses, a, a relatively kind of strange benign waste product, were going to landfill. And so she thought, okay, what can I actually do with these? They're strong, they're durable. And ori originally she tried to make household tiles from them, like roofing tiles. That didn't work. But she's now pivoted and she actually sells very, very kind of high-end looking handbags and, and does, you know, enormously successful doing so. Mm. And so she said something really, really interesting uh, at our conference last year, which was, you know, if you create something that is then, you know, has a life cycle of, Twin, of two months, three months, a year even, and it goes to landfill, you're not a creative, you're a destroyer. And she has this really interesting kind of approach to being a creative that, you know, you're far more creative when you have challenges and barriers and, you know, you have to actually commit to not polluting and, and you know, treating people properly. And so I think that that's just a business that's, that's always been such an inspiration to me. And, and on the other side of things, I think, you know, even today, and this is, you know, a completely unsexy business, cobbling and key cutting, Timpsons, you know, mm. yeah. in terms of a company that just every, every moment does the right thing. And it's not about their business model. You know, it's not about the product that they make. It's just about treating people right. Yeah. And you know, I saw today that, that, that um, the CEO basically said on Twitter, you know, if our stores are a bit short staffed today, that's because we give every parent a day off when it's their kid's first day of school. And that kind of thing is just, you can imagine as a, as a worker, what that would, what that would feel like for you to actually be given that. And so two ends of the scale, but, but two fascinating businesses, I think, and two examples of different ways to create different kinds of impact. And what strikes me about those examples, uh, James, is that they're both, it's both about the, the leadership rather than the business. Okay. The business model is important. Um, but it's the type of leadership that there's always been at those at the front of those businesses that means that they are that they have the reputation that whatever they whatever happens in the world they will adapt and their brand will continue to to succeed yeah. right yeah and I think that's something that really kind of puts them apart and I think it's that, that very strong commitment as well it's it's kind of like 
you know, companies, you know, they're not always going to do the, the right thing. No one is a perfect company. But as long as you have the commitment to continuous improvement and actually c committing to acting in a certain way, that's really going to take you a long way. And I think that's what's guided those two, those two leaders to making the decisions that they make day in, day out. Definitely. And that's the beauty of starting up because you can make that decision on day one with your partner and, and just and just get on with it. So, Bruce, in, in the um, in the Futurex world and ecosystem, what, have you, what are you seeing? What's exciting? Yeah, so I think that uh, I think, you know, like Tracy and James have, have mentioned, is that it's there are a variety of ways in which to do good now as a business. And I think that we're seeing that people can do that at all different stages. And I, I absolutely believe that. It's not just about what you do, but it's about how you do it. So, to, you know, that point of um, if you've got a philosophy where you look after your people, then that ends up being a much, much more sustainable model because you're constantly looking after the kind of human capacity side of it. Um, so I think from like, you know, from a, from a big company perspective this year, we saw um, every, I mean, most brands actually this year tried to respond in some way to COVID and offering services. Um, what's interesting is whether how many of those do that over the long term and how much of it was a kind of short term reactionary uh, thing. But what we're seeing is, you know, everyone from um, people like BrewDog this, this week or last week mm -hmm. announced that they're going carbon negative. They're very much looking at not just about what they produce in their distilleries, but what does their whole supply chain look like? And I think that kind of big action is... Um, is excellent, but it's also about recognizing that it's not just a small, it's not just doing one thing, it's continuously changing and adapting. But then all the way through to lots of really small businesses who have just made an emphasis during this period to look after their people, whether that's being extra flexible, very considerate of the kind of human patterns that were going through the waves of, of uh, energy and then depletion over the last few months all the way to those businesses that are actually leading with their kind of purpose. So there's a company in our, our community, Pawprint, which is all around um, using behavioral change to help people reduce their carbon footprint. So gamifying everyday behaviors and tasks in order for us all to consider, you know, what impact we have. Um, and then we've also got people who are using technology to, to match people with, services that they otherwise would find it really difficult to, to get access during this time, whether that's um, care for the elderly, which is actually an, an area which has been, uh, had very little innovation. And, and there's, so there's lots of people looking at aging population and how we use business to, to, to support us as, as we all kind of, as we all get older. Um, so I think there's not a monopoly on, on um, kind of the future of business, but what we're seeing consistently is people prioritizing uh, people, planet, and sustainability. And sustainability is not just about environmental sustainability, but thinking about uh, is hyper growth, and it's a kind of win-lose scenario, is that the most sensible model? And whose model is that? And is that actually the model that most founders want to follow? Or is that being guided because that's the kind of usual paradigm that benefits uh, typically those that are funding it? Um, you know, that's a model that works for them. And I think what we're starting to see is that um, there are multiple ways to scale and grow your company. But the most effective way is to focus relentlessly on your people. And actually, you can speak cynically about why that's, why that's good for business. And there's endless stats on that. But if you're just honest and say, like, how would I like to be treated? How would I like my 
parents to be treated or my brother or my whoever to be treated, I think when we start asking ourselves those questions, then we create much, much better environments. And that's what keeps people going, particularly during what's been a very, very challenging year for, for everybody. Yeah, definitely. I love that that Brewdog campaign. F-U-C-O-2. They're just yeah. bold and rude, but they get the attention and they're doing that. They're backing it up with their action, which is what's great. Um, they, so so we can all get excited about this. And I've been excited about this for 20 years. And the B Corps is just like encapsulated as sort of what the social enterprise movement was maybe struggling to put, you know, measure accurately um, in different ways. But the challenge, I think, for uh, knowing a lot of Virgin Startup um founders and other founders who are saying oh i've got this real strong why and i can moving to this future and i want to solve this problem in the world but then it comes down to like well hold on we haven't got the result you know we haven't got the resources we haven't even got people to treat well because it's just me and my friend or uh, whoever it is in a small version startup loan um so how do we how do we compete with like uh, these big companies that may be greenwashing or purpose washing whatever we want to say like uh, how do we say okay we can this is going to be we're going to solve a problem in the world or on another planet or in virtual reality and uh and this is our this is what's going to set us apart um and get us up and running what do you how do we how do we how do we help um you know individuals get going i'll throw that out to whoever whoever wants to have a crack at it i think that the first thing is to like to be true to yourself so authenticity is is the number one um uh, I think for, for anyone who's starting, whether you're on your own or you've got a few people, um, is that being authentic about what you believe and sticking to that. So, so it's like communication. It's how you talk about issues. It's how you talk to your customers. It's how you genuinely feel about your customers. You know, it's, I think that's all, all part of it because we're very much aware, all of us, I think, increasingly of greenwashing, purpose washing, and brands that are inauthentic. And I think we need to be much more cognizant of like all the decisions we make as a business and, and then how we communicate that back because there's lots of really amazing startups out there who are doing good things every day, but they're not telling anybody about it because mm. they're not getting into the habit of sharing that kind of success and the, the positive stories. Um, so they're the opposite of greenwashing. Yeah, I think so. It's, it's sometimes a bit too, too humble and feel like they've not achieved enough yet to share that story. Yeah. But I think that we build loyalty and trust by telling people when things are going well and when things are going badly. And that's how we start to build up much more transparency and trust. And for me, that's a big part of it being a purpose-driven company. It's not just about what you do. It's, it's how you behave, how you hold yourself accountable um, to the decisions that you make. And you see that a lot in the B Corp community, James? Yeah, I do. And, and to be honest, we have a lot of, of startups that we call kind of companies that are under 12 months of operation. They're called pending B Corps. And yeah. what we really do with them is, is that we, we talk about governance, which is really, you know, what everyone wants to talk about all the time. So what, what those companies do is they actually take, um, they make a change to their articles of association. So they actually change their legal structure to reflect their values, which you can do, you know, there's no, there's no, you know, um, divine kind of way in which you have to kind of have your articles or your governance documents as your as a, as a company. So they actually change that to say, you know, we want to consider all of our stakeholders in our uh, in our decision making and not just our shareholders. And it kind of, you know, because because you have so much control as a founder from the start, right, right early on, it actually kind of sets your pathway forward. You've you've kind of made the decision and you've locked yourself into it and said. Well, that's how I'm going to run my business, and and this is going to give me 
the chance to make good decisions going forward because you know without getting too in, too much into it i think there's a lot of good people out there in businesses making bad decisions because of the system in which they find themselves um and the other part of it is really just echoing bruce's point you know you might not have employees but you have stakeholders you know you have suppliers you have customers you have you know the community or the environment and actually getting to know them and building a relationship is what is where this idea of resilience comes from and so you know when when we hear um you know when tracy talks about what's next to what's to come and it sounds like really uncertain and there's a lot of kind of um it seems like there's going to be a lot of change it's that resilience that has kind of put your business in the right kind of space for that you've, you've created that muscle to have conversations with your suppliers and and your employees and your and your customers and they're going to be loyal engaged and, and motivated to kind of stand with you and, and be a partner not just a transactional kind of relationship yeah so resilience as well as excel uh, forecasting skills is is is, is a crucial skill um and tracy so you, I feel like going reflecting back on your early comment, like we're at the end of an 80 year cycle, it's either all going to fall apart or it's all going to be another renaissance, uh, an exciting moment in history. And I'm thinking, I'm sitting here with my little idea and, and my sort of like 5,000 pound loan and like, but, but with a lot of idealism, this is quite, this feels like it, maybe it's not the right time. There's too much change. Like why, yeah. why, why should I even bother trying to start something? Because now is exactly the right time. I mean, even practically, the cost of labor will be low. There'll be some really experienced, great people looking for new opportunities. The thing about change is it always brings more change. So the disruption we've seen with the pandemic, a virus, then brought more change to the economy, which then brought more change to the education system. And everything will change to some degree. And I think for people who have got a little idea, especially if it's an idea that's come from uh, a pain point or a bugbear of their own or some product or service they couldn't get any other way. And you mentioned sort of big corporates or big tech companies earlier, you know, they've got all the resources, all the cash reserves, all the greatest talent. How can you compete? But you can compete with a really, really good idea. I think sometimes if you are a small business and, you know, I, I run a small business, sometimes the best thing to do is collaborate with other people. So I mentioned about it being a network society earlier. That's great because it means you can reach out to potential partners, collaborators. And if you haven't got everything you need yourself, which hardly you hardly ever have, then, you know, you find the like minded um like purposeful sort of other companies or partners and and work with them to create what you want to create but i absolutely think now in the next 12 months is exactly the right time to take the bull by the horns and and see the opportunity in this what is what kind of looks a bit chaotic and complex and uncertain that's good that's good for starting a new business fantastic I feel I feel like I've been told. Uh, <laughs> great. I'm, I'm, I'm on your side. I'm on your side. But we all have our moments of doubt. So it's re it's really great to hear that. Um, the, the the business models, the sexy business model question. Um, when it comes to building things with purpose, there's always this assumption. Oh, not always, but I think there's often this assumption that it's going to cost more. Uh, therefore, our margin is going to be less. Therefore, this isn't a way to build something that's really strong and commercial. I think the social enterprise 
community, it, certainly in the UK, has suffered with this sort of like cloud hanging over them. It's like, oh, how much is good profit? How much profit should I make without it being right or wrong? And, you know, ends up going around in circles rather than going out into the world and trying to conquer it. So, like, what from your what you're seeing, um, and one for what you've learned, um, does the type of business model matter? And and if you're someone that's like, I'm trying to solve a really a, a really difficult um, structural problem in society, can you be having a, have a kind of high margin aggressive business model, or or is there an ethical conflict there? Mm. I mean, sorry, I was just going to dive in. Go on for it, James. Yeah. Um, so, I think fundamentally. You know, I think sometimes people get caught up in the business model um, and thinking, you know, if I want to create a purposeful business, you know, I have to create this elaborate business model that is a completely circular thing that's kind of going to make everyone sit up and take notice and be surprised at exactly what I've done with my big, powerful brain. Um, but actually, what you know, you don't have to do that. You can run a completely, you know, normal products and service business, but just do it in a purposeful manner. And the, and the way in which you're doing, you do that is, is, is at its core, just caring about your stakeholders. And this, again, it goes back to what Bruce is saying. You know, if you commit to building and improving your relationship with employees, suppliers, customers, et cetera, that is really all there is to it because you're engaging them in conversation and you're, you're learning actually how they experience the business. And, you know, the idea of a stakeholder is someone that is affected by or affects your business. And therefore, you know, it is affected by your business. So, you know, they should be experiencing it well, but they have a massive impact on, on the operations and the success of your business. Um, and so, you know, fundamentally, I would say there's so many things that you do without even really looking at your business model. Um, but then just to touch on the business model, you know, there are, there are, a number of kind of companies in the B Corp community that are doing really interesting stuff around products. So, you know, if you're creating a product, can you look at your inputs and see if they are the output of any other process? We have a company, EcoBooth, that um, does kind of um, recycled materials for the events business. Obviously, the events business is a bit, bit tricky now, but it, it did in the past produce a lot of waste. And I think they used, they created a an event booth out of 500,000 um, plastic straws and that kind of thing. And mm. it's not just that you then have a great business model that is doing well, but the story that you can then tell with that, and again, back to Bruce's point about don't forget to tell the story, is, is, is a really amazing because you can go and talk to your clients and say, this is actually something of interest. This isn't like we are an events company, we can do this for you. It's, it's something so much more that you can play with. Um, and so, yeah, I would say the business model, fantastic if you can do it and if you want to do it, but there are so many other options within the just simple day-to-day -day running of your business. Great, but, but presumably not to be shy about having a profitable model. I know this sounds obvious, maybe, but I think mm -hmm. to a lot of people who are, who are they're like, well, I'm trying to solve this problem in society. I can't make money from it. There's that, there's that sort of conflict. Mm. I mean, I would, I would ultimately say, you know, just quickly, it's almost the uh, it's almost the purest kind of entrepreneur there is. You've taken a social, an intractable social and political problem, uh, sorry, social and, and environmental problem that you know maybe politicians haven't been able to fix, the government hasn't been able to fix, civil society hasn't been able to fix, and you've not only fixed that with you know you fixed that through your business model, but you've made a profitable way of doing it. You know, stand back and applaud. That's 
that's the real kind of the real win for any entrepreneur, surely. Yeah. Yeah. Bruce. And the thing that's the thing is, is that it's like it's a journey. So it's not about having to achieve all your kind of sustainability goals on, on day one either. So I think that for so many businesses, you know, to get a, to get a business model that fits that your customers and your model uh, is hard enough. So I think that, you know, you need to build something that makes it sustainable for you to be able to grow. And that's certainly our perspective at, at Futurex is that we want to help people achieve impact at scale. And so a, a really regenerative business model that helps them grow is, is really important. And I think that if you get to the, the point where you're you're making so much money, then you can very much think about, well, how do we reinvest that that money in? And I think that that's the other side of it is it's not about, it's thinking about business as a value add rather than a value extractor. Um, mm. And I think that, you know, we shouldn't forget that even though there is this like movement in both the startup and the corporate world, is so many people are just not doing it particularly well at the moment. And, are, and so, you know, you even taking those first small steps is significant. And I think that if we encourage more people to take steps on that journey, um, then that's definitely, definitely a positive. I, I hope that, you know, if people were making so much money that they pay their staff higher wages, they provide them more flexibility, they reinvest into their communities, and they become an essential part of that local or uh, national or international economy. Um, yeah. because they're continually reinvesting. I think that then we've got a really exciting position where we've got social businesses that are profitable, which is really important also for the economics of how our country works. And yeah. I think that's the other thing we can't forget is that, um, that, that we, that's how we generate money as a, as, a, as, a, as a nation as well, is the businesses who employ people, they pay tax, businesses then pay tax. And that's what funds all our kind of social services and all the rest of it. So we should want businesses to be successful, but yeah. they shouldn't be causing harm as they grow. And I think that that's the significant point is to continue as you grow, continually reevaluate, are we causing harm? And if so, how do we reduce that and actively, you know, contribute more positively? Yeah, and take responsibility for those externalities. And, and, and we go back to Patagonia as that kind of like great example, made money and is now and and has been an activist organization for 40 years. Um, coming, Tracy, so we're, we're, we're a room full of 150 entrepreneurs, founders, creatives here. Um, what should we be building next? What in, in terms of the trends? I mean, it, uh, Harari talks about we live in the age of bewilderment, right? We're all a little bit like some days we're excited, other days we're all hazy right now. Um, if you were going to start building something yourself or you're seeing like, here's, here's really interesting, like the future of this, uh, what are you excited about? What would you share? Um, okay, so anything that puts a media layer over um, an existing category or industry or business type, Anything that can put a, a, you know, a virtual reality or an augmented reality, mixed reality layer over. Um, any kinds of business that is about digital modeling that will help us understand the real world before we have to make the changes in the real world. So there's a great startup I'm sure everybody knows called Improbable. It's quite big now. It's had some quite a big investment. Um, but, you know, started building games on a kind of distributed operating system. Now you can simulate all sorts of other things um, because people are moving around and changing now. We have to think about maybe cities aren't going to operate and urban environments aren't going to operate in quite the way they did. Um, people have left some of those 
um, environments and they're moving out to more rural places, not just suburbia, but more rural. And so what kind of products and services would they like if they're not going to be commuting on a kind of at nine o'clock and five o'clock? You know, what kind of life are they going to be living? What are they going to need? I definitely think education is massively right for disruption. I was just looking at some stats yesterday. Twice as many people in America are um, considering homeschooling their children from now on than they were before. Mm -hmm. um, so thinking about those pods or hubs and how you can educate children in um, in a more individual um in a more individual way to bring out some of their talents and skills and actually hone what they're already interested in rather than getting them to learn by rote um, and memorize facts. How can they be creative and think about their passions and their interests? Um, actually, that is one of the interesting things they've done in Taiwan. It's not, you know, kids that are about seven and eight years old, it's about trying to really understand what they feel their purpose or mission might be. Um, and I think, if you teach kids that early, then they're probably more likely to go on and build a business of their own, which is purposeful and is in line with their own mission. And to Bruce's point earlier, kind of taps into their own authenticity. So I think education is really mm. right for change. So, so anywhere where you're seeing um, a little chink where there, there's a need that's not going to be met in the future, or you can see the new new trends kind of don't fit quite right. It's an entrepreneurial opportunity for anybody. Yeah, and crises are right for those. Um, be quite mm. a communities. What trends are you, you guys seeing? There's definitely a, a, a trend in terms of sustainability. So I think that, that everyone is thinking about um, how they become, how they create a more sustainable version of what exists currently. I think that's that's um, a massive trend at the moment. And as Tracy uh, mentioned as well, education is, is I think, particularly this year, as, I mean, it's been on that trend for a long time, but particularly this year, it's accelerated so much. Um, and people are just asking if, if the current models fit for purpose and, and, and thinking about how do we, rather than a, a one-to-many, how do we kind of, personalize that experience much more and I, th I think that we're seeing more of more of that across the board a kind of personal experience is is becoming more and more of a thing which which poses challenges as well as, as we know as, as we live in potentially we're meant to live in a more interconnected world but potentially we live in the silos within that uh, that kind of interconnection um, so I think that, that those are interesting considerations as well as how do you convey as technology becomes more prevalent, how do we focus on the kind of human aspect of it and the value it actually adds to us as, as people? Um, I think that that's really significant of um, generally about all businesses making much more of a focus on how technology enables um, things. So I, those, those are probably the areas of, um, of big trend. And aging population is also a massive thing. I think that yeah. you, you certainly can't be, um, you're, you're certainly not uh, in the wrong place if you're looking at how do you support the kind of transition for people moving to elderly care. And there's lots of stuff, particularly in Asia, that is doing some really interesting things um, that we should be thinking about as well as, as we kind of, as we accelerate fast towards that. Uh, what does the world look like as we live longer? Um, and and how do we sustain ourselves? How do we stay? How do we stay interested and active when uh, the chances are we'll be working and living for for a much much longer? 
Yeah, because the majority of entrepreneurs under 50, they don't think about the the aging population as much. So it's a big it's a big world of opportunity. Um, and James, what about in the, in the wonderful B Corp community? And, and maybe just explain briefly, because uh, we haven't had a chance yet, um, uh, how, how it works, how you can become a B Corp. What are the trends there? Yeah, so, I mean, one of the big things that we're seeing is just a, a kind of a, an exponential growth in demand, which speaks obviously to, to Bruce's point about the trend around sustainable business growing, which is fantastic. I mean, it's grown over the last 12 to 18 months, but actually since COVID hit, you know, all of our indicators of engagement have like doubled, um, which actually feels like a bit of a step change. It feels like, you know, if you remember back in 2008, you had the financial crisis smaller in scale. It felt like CSR was at the end of the balance sheet. They got guillotined as soon as someone started cutting costs. But actually now, it really feels as though companies are engaging with sustainability as a way to navigate through this crisis. And that's when we're starting to talk about resilience and that kind of thing. Um, and so in terms of kind of how this relates to the B Corp community, so um, there are kind of two kind of conditions for being becoming a B Corp. The first is the performance requirement, so going online and using the B Impact Assessment, which is completely free, to measure and manage your impact across all of your stakeholders. And the second thing is the legal change that we talked about, so actually entrenching your values into the governing documents of your um, of your company. And so it's those, those two things that are really critical to, to joining in with that group. But but wider than, than being just kind of a, a certification or a community, it is actually, you know, it, what we're trying to do is take this trend towards operating more sustainable, sustainably and ride it towards systems change. So, you know, it's not just kind of a, an audit that we're trying to do. We are trying to move from a, a system in which shareholder maximization is the one and only kind of um, uh, governing ideal for a business to one of a more stakeholder governance model. And actually all of these kind of conversations about, you know, the onset of technology, what does that mean for us? What does that mean for our employees? What does that mean for our customers? They, they are a lot less scary through the lens of a, of a stakeholder governance kind of oriented business. They are a lot more scary with a kind of a, a company that, that operates on a shareholder maximization model. And it's it's really interesting that we're talking now, which is exactly 50 years after Milton Friedman wrote his famous letter, which was saying that the business of business is business and that's it. And I think we are coming out of that that decade, that half decade, and, and coming up with a slightly more enlightened idea of what a business can do. Uh, talking of 50 years business experience, Andy just told me there's uh, a special guest that's going to wants to join us on stage um, who might have a couple more questions or thoughts to to add to this. So, Andy, if you can add our guest in, um, and then we've got about 10 more minutes of conversation together, and then we're going to break out into lots of different sessions. Um, so 150 of you that are here, um, I'll let you know about that. Let's just see if we can get the other person on stage. It's like magic. I can't control this. It's just like going on in the background. We should be in the virtual world like uh, Second Life, Tracy. I used to remember doing that. And that was... That was Animal that Crossing. Was, you can do meetings in Animal exactly, Crossing. Exactly. That was way, way ahead. Um, 
maybe they're not quite here. I was told they were here, but they're not quite here. Um, those of you that are following, if you have questions for any of our panel or observations, please drop it into the chat. You were busy chatting earlier. I know you've been busy listening, uh, but please drop it into the chat. Um, I just wanted to share really briefly uh, a couple of B Corps um, who I think are right on the on the money. Um, one is Oddbox, which I know Virgin has talked about as well. So they've had a really exciting pandemic uh, sort of period because they've they are taking wonky fruit and vegetables and turning them into uh, a food de food delivery service. Um, and for three years, Deepak and Emily, who are running, started Oddbox, were like fighting and scrapping and they were like making no money. And then, of course, this year, delivery services has gone through the roof alongside with a trend and awareness around waste food. And the combination of the two has meant that Oddbox is suddenly yeah. is suddenly there. So it's really it's really exciting to see them explode. And of course, uh, Pip and Nut, we're all big fans of when we were, uh, we were at home trying to enjoy ourselves uh, a little bit more. Um, I'm just going to see if... If Andy has got our uh, guest ready or not, and if not, not to worry, we'll crack on because I've even got another 20 questions here uh, for you guys. Um, so we'll crack on for now. Um, in terms of the environmental crises that this world is facing, that we're facing, um, how do you how do you help? Um, how do you as individuals, but also how do you help people in your community deal with that? We mentioned resilience briefly earlier, but how do you help people deal with that sort of feeling of like we're tiny? The problems are huge because I, I often feel like this. I'm just like each day trying to move forward a little bit. Um, but we're connected to these global problems, which we weren't 50 years ago. Um, how do you how do you what's your mindset towards that on a day to day basis? And how do you help people? Yeah, I think that's def that's tough, really tough for people who feel like this and can can recognise this as the existential crisis that it is, but sometimes feel powerless as to what their contribution ought to be. I think it starts with thinking of remembering that we're all individuals. We've all got individual responsibility and, and agency over of, over our actions, but then also just as the business develops and grows, is to continually be conscious over where you do have an impact and where you do have. Um, where you build relationships with suppliers, for example, over time, can you encourage your suppliers to source more sustainably? Can you source more sustainably through other partners? One of the big things I would say for, for startups is speak to other startups. One of the benefits that we see in our community is that, you know, it's very hard to leverage change on your own. But when you kind of band together and are able to try to leverage opportunities as a collective, whether that's sourcing from the same place that allows the kind of uh, the costs to work out. I think all those things are, are things that we should be just keeping at the forefront of our minds and asking new decisions that we make. Is there a way we can do this more sustainably? Because I would is, say it, it, it's sorry to jump in, Bruce, but that is a, a, almost an a, a anti-business way of operating, isn't it? Because it's like, no, that's competition. That's competition. That's competition. If I collaborate, if I open up, if I share my, uh, how we do it kit then they're just going to take it and that's the that's if we're if we're honest that's the fear that a lot of entrepreneurs and and people running organizations have right yeah and it and it's it's a total misnomer really because the most successful entrepreneurs and companies i know relentlessly collaborate um and it's not about saying that you you know you collaborate in areas where it's directly in a conflict but in areas where it's not is that if you're truly mission driven then it makes it much easier to collaborate. Um, and you don't need to collaborate with direct competitors either. But this idea that anyone does it alone is 
it's just a bit ludicrous, really. We all know because, you know, none of us have ever achieved anything really on our own. It's been someone else has supported us, advised us, helped us, whether that's friends, family, you know, whoever it might be, um, colleagues, uh, business advisors. We all get there when we support each other. And I think that's the really important thing is, is that actually if we collaborate more with each other, we communicate more with each other, we'll get to the shared mission much, much faster. Yeah. Have faith. Be more human about it. Great answer. Yeah. James, I did, yeah, I just wanted to, to chime in and just just agree with Bruce on the um, the idea of finding your community in like I think it's the global, right? People are talking about the global. So, like two examples of this, and two examples of the way in which companies are, are operating on this collaboration rather than competition model. So, one of which is you know um, is uh, Finister. We recently yeah. ran a, a um, environmental kind of collective space. And that was very locally in the UK, in London. And they came with their kind of new water-soluble polythene bag, like packaging, completely non-toxic. And they kind of held it up and say, it's called Leave No Trace. And they said, we all want you to use this. This isn't our USP, you know, of this, like, like overcoming sustain, uh, kind of um, the, the, the sustainable packaging challenge. You know, we want you all to use this. So please kind of please use this. And the, the second point is, is, you know, um, being part of a, a being a, in a local network, but part of a global community. So I think over 500 B Corps announced at COP25 their, um, their intention to uh, go carbon neutral um, by at least 2030, if not, if not sooner. And so I think those two things is, is are really important because it gives you that kind of personal, um, idea of being close to another business but then it also gives you the idea of being greater than the sum of your parts and actually having a global uh, solution to a global challenge definitely and and tracy in terms of the three worlds that you mentioned at the start of this conversation where are you where are you seeing out of this world so we're talking about earth virtual and uh, you've talked about virtual what about off this planet what's happening and if you're if you're an individual Office entrepreneur with a small loan, can you get an involved with an off this planet idea? Well, you want to get into something that's to do with some auxiliary or ancillary industry around small satellites, don't you? Because that is absolutely exploding now. Um, but you know, I mean, small companies that aren't small anymore, like Planet Labs or whatever, started of off small with these big ambitions. And I guess that's one of the things I, I was thinking about when you asked the last question. Yes, it can feel too intimidating and a bit worrying, but not everything is a crisis all the time and we have to get some perspective. And I think um, if we can start to think much more long term, because we always underestimate long term effects and over overestimate mm. short term effects. So we, if we can extend the vision out to the long term, we will get to a place where we start to think about what's the world we want to create in 20 or 30 whatever years time and then use that vision to dictate what the two or three most important actions are that we're going to take in the next 12 to 18 months and so it's this long-term vision and the short-term vision working together sort of toggling together so i'd say to any business forget your five-year plan because that's not helpful it's kind of too far out and not far out enough um 
forget it because it's not that helpful have a have a 30-year vision that dictates the actions you take in the next i don't know, six to 12 or 12 to 18 months and that will give you some kind of tracy you've I just think. explained uh my favorite kind of mantra for work and life uh in, in a much more intellectual yeah. way than i could which is keep your head in the clouds but your feet on the ground so it's this idea mm. that you, every day, every day you like dream, it. every day you think about the big future. You, you think about if you're lying in your deathbed, what decisions would you make today on how to do differently? But keeping your feet on the ground every day you act, every day you do something that's in line with your values, but it's moving things forward. And you forget the middle ground because it's messy. Like we've all done those, yes. those forecasts, haven't we? Um, Virgin Star is really good. They only make you forecast a little bit into the future, 18 months. But you do these five-year business plans because some investor wants to have a look. It's like, it's bullshit. Is it? You don't know. It's useless. You don't it's just know. Useless problem. I mean, you can spend a lot of time doing yeah. that if you want to, but you won't probably. Act but the funny that. thing about that is that you know it's not right. The people reading it know that it's not right, and so it's just an exercise for I don't know for the sake of it. Yeah, yeah. Yes, so you, how do you do your business plans, Bruce? So I mean, we we think in the long long term. So you know, I think about we think in terms of like what if we were able to affect the whole global economy? You know, we think in that kind of lens because it makes, exactly as you say, it makes us think about like what interventions we actually are able to do at this stage. It makes us think, are we are we working towards the big, big change? Um, and I guess for, for me is like, you know, startups is not, you know, it's, 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 the, it's the literal opposite of get rich quick. So you better like what you're doing and you better care about a kind of long-term objective because it's unlikely to make you lots of money really quickly. And so you need to, you need to have a bigger buy-in. You know, you need to care about a much bigger thing than just like, you know, dream about what would the world look like if we were successful. And that's, that's the thing that keeps me going on days like, you know, you know, days where it's just particularly during this pandemic, which have been really exhausting. And sometimes you question, you know, is that, is that the right thing to have done today? Are we making enough progress as quickly as we'd like? And then you need to think, well, actually, we're working towards a big long-term change, not just a short-term trend or, or a blip. And that's the thing about purpose and impact that I'm you know, really conscious of. I think last year it became much more mainstream, but I'm really conscious that it doesn't just become a trend, that then next year we're, we're interested in something new again and, and we start to let this go. We need to be embedding this as, as part of the everyday, the normal, uh, rather than an exception to, to the rule. Absolutely. Um, well, listen, I think it's time we're going to switch over to our sessions because we have uh, a fantastic crew waiting in there to chat to the 150 members that have been following this, uh, following this conversation over the last 45 minutes. But Tracy, James and Bruce, thank you so much for like tackling some of those big ideas um bravely but also sensitively to to what people are trying to do um and some great examples um which we've noted and shared with everyone so thank you and we'll uh everyone who's come tonight will have connections to what you're doing you've been listening to a virgin startup podcast virgin startup are a not-for-profit organization set up to help founders start up and thrive Don't be shy. Let us know what you thought by leaving a review whenever you listen to your podcast. And to find more about how we can help you start and scale your business, head over to virginstartup.org. Thanks to our friends at Virgin Money, we're able to make our meetups free to attend, providing thousands of early stage founders with the support they need to start and scale businesses in the UK. Virgin Money are here to disrupt the status quo. They want everyone to have a much happier relationship with money. 
Through their brilliant colleagues, inspiring spaces and digital solutions, they are doing everything they can to offer a life more virgin. They provide a full range of banking products and services to help founders at every stage of their business journey. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast and that you'll join us next time for more founder stories. <laughs>